uh, I, I would I would throw a red flag up about that. DKMS still has a a uncanny knack for just not doing what it's supposed to be doing at any <laughs> random period. Like, ha ha, f you, dude. You're not gonna have a system that's gonna work when you reboot. Back in the day, compiling your kernel used to be kind of a rite of passage. I don't think it's very necessary these days. And I haven't, can't remember the last time I had to compile a kernel because it was missing something. Uh, but back then, I'm talking 90s, even in the early middle 2000s, we had to compile a kernel all the time for various reasons. And it was almost, it was a rite of passage, I think. You proved that you were actually a true Linuxer because you had to compile your own kernel up until the point when you compiled your kernel that's you were just playing around, faffing about, maybe. But once you compiled your own kernel that says you knew what you were doing, never mind that you were pretty much just doing make and then make install. It was almost automatic. And the farther on in history we got, the more automatic it became. I mean, early on, you would have like make menu config, and you'd have to answer all these questions, and it was very tedious, and you didn't know if you were going to get it just right. And odds are, if you didn't start with a working kernel first and then move on, you know, just make your minor changes to work in kernel, you're probably going to end up with something that was broken. Uh, I don't know if you ever ran into this, but there was an option called make rand config that would test that by actually just randomizing all the answers to the questions that it would ask you and then seeing if it would build a valid kernel. When we were bored on Fridays and Saturdays because we were nerds, we would run make rand config and see who could get a first working kernel. I wish I was joking, but we actually did this in college. <laughs> Things you did when you're bored, you know? But uh, nowadays, you don't really need to do that. I don't, I don't think I've had to comp compile a kernel since at least 2010. Um, I think I was messing around with LVM and my init RD didn't have it and didn't compile things. Anyway, and I'm not talking about kernel modules either, because that, that's the thing that happens pretty regularly. You have a video card, you got to inject a you know, kernel module for that, or uh, maybe you're doing um, virtually a lot of some systems are virtual now, and so there's... Uh, uh, open VM tools or something, and you need to compile your, your module for that, or you're using ZFS. I mean, DKMS has made everything so much easier. You don't have to think about it. It just kind of works now. So, uh, I, I would, I would throw a red flag up about that. DKMS still has a, a uncanny knack for just not doing what it's supposed to be doing at any <laughs> random period. I'm, like, maybe I'm glossing over that. F you, dude. You're not going to have a system that's going to work when you reboot. And if you don't notice it, like you're not watching to make sure your your compiler just goes by and you think you're good to go and doo -doo -doo -doo, and oops okay that's fair you know I, I maybe i have i've even had that recently on fedora because you end up in this weird spot when like the version there's a version mismatch mm -hmm. between gcc and the version that the kernel was compiled with yep and so dkms by default is gonna go nah bro not gonna touch it not gonna touch it because it won't just go ahead and build it just in case, and then it maybe not work. It just won't build it at all. And if you don't notice that when you're doing your package upgrade, because you do your, your, well, your DNF upgrade, or install, it'll install everything, and then it'll launch DKMS to do its bits right. at the end. But if there's that mismatch, DKMS won't do its bits at the end. So if you don't actually <laughs> go back to your shell to look, and you're just like, I'll just update in the background and keep oh, doing what I'm done. doing. Oh, it's done. This is great. And yeah. Then, and then later in the day, you're like, okay, well, everything's done. Let me just reboot. Whoop, boom. Now you have nothing. You don't have whatever module that was. Mm -hmm. Like I had NVIDIA break on me like a month ago for that very reason. Because there was a config for DKMS that I had to set the flag for 
even though I had set the flag in another config, DKMS wasn't paying attention to that config, even though it's the same config, but it was in two locations and one's supposed to overwrite the other. That wasn't happening. Do we need a do we need a pulse audio diagram but replace pulse audio no, with DKMS? It, well, maybe. <laughs> It was just like, I was trying to run DKMS manually. Like, oh, okay. Me, DKMS. And I'm like, I'm telling it, this is what you're going to do. And it's like, nah, man, I'm going to look at this config <laughs> file that you don't know about because you're editing the one I'm not paying attention to. <laughs> and like, I throw the I throw the switches on the command line and DKMS is like, nah, man, I'm going to follow this config file. It took me like three or four hours to track down where the config file was that I actually needed to, to to noodle the bits. Oh, that's so frustrating. And may I ask, what tool did you use to actually track it down? Were you just exploring or like... No, I just I just did a ton of Googling and like kept finding <laughs> file paths for where people had their config. Hmm. And I'm like, mm, oh, I don't have that path on my system. Let me try another one. And yeah, just by trial and error, I eventually was like, I found multiple config files. Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm just going to change them all. It works. We're just going to see. And eventually, huzzah, it worked. And then it rebuilt my NVIDIA module, and it's been good to go ever since. Well, I'll just say this. That's actually a pretty old school way of solving problems, because remember, I had to do that quite a lot back in the day, and even with kernel modules and such. Like, oh, that didn't work. I better, let's see if I can tweak my config and try again. You know, it's really annoying. You'd boot up. It wouldn't boot. Like, well, crap. You can go back into the old kernel and try and fix it again. And, you know, after a while, you get pretty good at making sure that you you know, grab your config.gz and stick it in, start from there, and then only make the changes you need, and that's how you get your working kernel. Uh, but uh, numerous times I tried just just starting from nothing, just trying to make a working kernel. It didn't really work. Yeah, this was real fun with uh, Project Trident because we use ZFS on root. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing your upgrade and DKMS doesn't do its thing and rebuild the ZFS module, when you, when you go to reboot, oh, you don't have a file system. Congratulations. Oh, I, I ran into that very thing, actually. Uh, maybe not DFS on root, but uh, I upgraded CentOS, I think 7.8 came out last month. And uh, so I was like, okay, great, let's go upgrade. Forgetting to check that uh, ZFS you know, needed to be matched. So I went and I updated my repo file and made sure it was pointing to ZFS 7.8 sources. And uh, it wasn't there. They didn't exist. And so DKMS... It did just like you explained. It, it just kind of it told me, and I didn't pay any attention. I'm like, okay, time to reboot. Here we go. And where the heck are all my files? What did I do? Oh crap! Thankfully, it's not hard to fix. It's just back out to the old kernel. But uh, I had that exact same experience recently. It's kind of amusing that you're talking about that. We're, we're, Thankfully, nowadays our our uh, EFI partitions are big enough, yes. so we can just keep shoving <laughs> kernels in there, and it's like. I don't care. You're just going to keep saving kernels. That kernel from a year ago, you're going to keep it and just keep shoving them in there. Because back in the day, that was not the case. No, no, definitely. You There was a, well, there was, space was more limited. And then even if there were, you had plenty of space, space to store your kernel, you had to be concerned about how big it was. You know, like, uh, gosh, in the early days, you had to be worried about, but, but I'll just say this. We didn't have Grub until the 2000s. And that was a big step forward. Lilo was very clunky. Um, it was a very simple bootloader, and it pretty much just made sure that you were launching into the next... Uh, you need to have your boot partition in one of the first two hard drives, and it had to be within a certain number of cylinders from the front of the drive, and you had to make sure that your init, or init RAM disk and your kernel both fit within 16 megabytes, because otherwise you'd overflow 16-bit protected mode, and we had to be very concerned about all this. And, and we, piled your own kernel, you had to make sure that you were using as many modules as possible to keep the size down. And then I remember when, it, it, despite them trying to keep the size down, it wasn't enough. So 
self you know self extracting binaries became mandatory for the kernel to try and keep within that um, that size restriction. I think that's one of the reasons we moved off of Lilo and onto Grub, is it not? Do you remember? It could be. I don't. I don't recall off the top of my head. Mm. Well, were you compiling kernels much that back then? <laughs> so. You remember in that other episode? I do right, remember. Totally, I, I totally threw your whole plan for the episode out the window you by saying, much... I do not have anything to say about that. <laughs> you pretty much ambushed so, me. Thank you for that. We're about yeah, to feel so, it again. Here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm about to do it again. Mm -hmm. I did not build my first kernel for quite a while. Um, <laughs> like, I you think it was puppy probably... Or, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay, okay. Slow your roll, Jeff. Slow your roll. I'm upset. So, if you remember when we did our first introductory episode, we talked about when we first got into Linux and, mm -hmm. and all that. And I mentioned that, you know, I was given a Slackware box that was already installed. Mm -hmm. And for many years, that was that was the Linux box I had. And I didn't want to, like, try to reinstall anything else because I didn't know how to how he did it. So, I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, I didn't want to screw it up. Mm -hmm. So, like, I didn't install my first, like, for me, until I tried it was a Red Hat something. I think it was the 4 era. And then later I did OpenSUSE because I didn't really like the Red Hat again caveat it's not red hat's fault i just only used slackware so it was different and different was bad different was so bad no yep. hostility against red hat that was just me being younger in my opinionated self so anyway that hasn't um, changed by the way you're still opinionated this is true but my opinions have softened in some areas they have gotten yes. more aggressive in others they have. however so yeah for all of that time like i didn't mess around with building a kernel because i didn't need to because I just, whatever came down from upstream and the, the, the distribution said, hey, this is the kernel that works. Cool. I'm just going to use that that kernel. It was probably early 2000s. Uh, at this point, I was back on Slackware and I had to do it to get some audio driver working on one of the laptops I had. Always audio. The Always driver audio. wasn't mainlined. It was open source, but it wasn't mainlined. So I had to go get the source and then I had to build the module. Mm -hmm. But I was too daft to realize that I could just build the module. So I <laughs> rebuilt the entire kernel with the audio module as, as built in. Um, and I remember doing that and being like, oh, that was that was cool. You know, I okay, yeah. And then like a couple months later, I was telling somebody else and they're like, wait, hold on. You rebuilt your whole kernel? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, why did you not just build the module? And, you know, my response is, because I didn't know I could just build the module. <laughs> because no one had told me that. Because was, I had just uh, never done it before, so I didn't know to ask. It 2018, was just, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. No, this was not 2018. <laughs> this would have been early 2000s. Um, so I didn't really start getting into monkeying around with the kernel until, like you alluded to, I started doing puppy stuff. Because... That was then crucial of, I need to make this system as streamlined as possible. So I do not need fiber channel support in this kernel because we're making this for old desktop hardware and old laptops. Nobody's going to have fiber channel on an old Toshiba laptop. Though if one is out there, if there's a laptop out there with fiber channel, <laughs> I must know. Yeah. And I must obtain this. Send it to him. He will pay a king's yeah. ransom for it. Uh, but yeah, so like that was when I really started getting in and monkeying around with the kernel. And a lot of that was just streamlining, pulling stuff out we didn't need, dabbling with the schedule, uh, scheduler, usually very horribly. I had um, a couple of those experiences. By, by taking like another schedule and being like, hey, let's see if this will work. Mm -hmm. Oh, that did not. Let's not do that. <laughs> oh, let's try this scheduler over here. This looks like it's going to be great. Nope. That was also a travesty. 
but so it was it was just kind of monkeying around doing that stuff a lot of the work that i did on puppy was mostly user land stuff mm. because realistically you know the kernel is only gonna be able to get so small and you need to leave it expansive enough to be able to run on a lot of hardware right yes so for puppy it was we need to keep the user land as small as possible because really that's what the people are interacting with mm-hmm. and that's where i had the first fun experience with the kernel toolchain gcc shuffle oh, where you have to yes. compile and then you have to go back and compile again and then you have to go back and compile again like that was fun because i didn't know that at first so i would do things and it was like hmm, things are not behaving the way they're supposed to be behaving why <laughs> is that oh well you need to somebody would tell me oh you need to do this oh okay so then i would do that but then things still would not be right it's like oh well now that you built a new tool chain you have to go back and rebuild the kernel so you have the current good kernel clean kernel with the new gcc built off of the other and it's like Okay, so I've got to do this like three times. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah. Pretty much. Okay, why did no one tell me that before? And they're like, well, you didn't ask. Okay, I didn't know that I needed to ask how to do a thing. Mm-hmm. We should maybe, maybe do something about this. I don't know that we've ever actually ever done anything about this because it's not as much of an issue now. But for those who want to get in and start doing things on their own, there's a lot of assumed knowledge that we assume people have that people don't have. And this is kind of what leads yep. me to kind of my recent documentation the past couple of years of, hey, people, let's document stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it's really easy when you know the information to be like, oh, I'm going to document this, blah, 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 and do the thing. Because you just assume everyone knows what you know. And when someone reads that that doesn't understand all the things that you know, they're completely lost. Uh, I have this experience quite often. And what it leads me to do is write documentations, 19 pages for half a page of something I actually went to start with. Because I could never know when people have context. So I'm like, oh, I better describe that. Oh, crap. If I'm going to describe this, I better go into that too. And I end up with these massive documents that they're great. And from any level you start with, you can end up at the right the conclusion. But uh, it takes a lot longer than what I would originally expect. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm still writing that documentation. And I get the kind of weird looks like, uh, what are you writing now? Why is it taking you so long to write documentation on that? Yeah, the kernel archives are a fantastic source of information, though. Like, I know when I was monkeying around with stuff, I would get some, like, what the heck is this? Mm -hmm. What is this switch for? Why is it here? And, like, I couldn't find anything. So you just hop into the kernel archives, and it's like, oh, here is a 1,700-page dissertation of emails (laughs) about this, what what seemed like a very minuscule switch, that now you can get all the information your little heart desires Mm -hmm. about they go into every bit of minutia about why it was done and actually even the evolution and development of it, too, if you mm-hmm. really want to know. And sometimes some things are obscure enough that you kind of have to do that. Yeah. So all this is to say you really didn't have much need to compile your kernel. Like, you didn't ever hot rod your systems or anything like that? No, because, again, for the longest time when I got into Linux, I was just a user. Like, I was just using the desktop or, you know, just kind of tinker around to have fun, to explore. It was never what can I do with this? I think that's probably more common now than it was then, uh, where people are just like, oh, I just I just use it because it, it does the thing that it, it mm-hmm. does. For me at the time, I wasn't so much tinkering on a lot of the, the back-end stuff and the, the deeper OS stuff mm-hmm. because I, just, I was doing other things in life and it was just kind of a fun to tinker around with it, but it was never, let me get in there and rebuild the, like, okay, car analogy, since we both like cars. Mm-hmm. I was, I was the guy that's like, huh, I have this car and I have another copy of this car over here. And this one has problem A, but not problem B. And this one has problem B, but not problem A. So let me just combine the two cars together and then I'll have one good car. Like, 
I didn't get to that point in Linux until much later, having used it for so long. And it's interesting because there's this assumption that people have that if you've used Linux for a long time, you know everything. And that's very false. I was at self, uh, I think it was actually like three years ago, one of the times I was there, when I had a conversation with somebody and they were asking, I forget what it even was, but it was like, what switch you use on this binary and the user land to get this output? And they asked me, and I'm just like, why are you looking at me? And they're like, well, you've used Linux for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea, dude. I was just open the man page. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I did not memorize the man pages. Like, if I needed to do something, I would look up how to do it, mm -hmm. and then I would do it. And then I didn't worry about memorizing it because I've already got so much brain space, and there's other things in life that I can memorize. Mm -hmm. And like, the man pages are always going to be there for me. Mm -hmm. They're on and, system, unless you choose not to install them. Yeah. And like... It was it was interesting because the person even brought that up. Well, what happens if you're somewhere and you don't have access to the internet to look it up? It's like uh, they're on the file system. But when does so that there. happen anymore? Very rarely. I mean, if you well, have a major network it, meltdown and you're in the DC and you're stuck, then maybe you can see that. But uh, Yeah, if you're in an air gap system, yeah. then it's okay. going to happen. Okay, but yeah. again, you're going to have them on the system there so you can find yes. it. Yes. Because one of the other things that I noticed, which I never wanted to do, was, and this was probably late mm, late 90s maybe? I don't know. Could have been early 2000s. When I saw someone who was trying to show me different stuff with Linux, and they, I think they used to be a FreeBSD person, maybe not, but their rote memory was when they memorized everything from before. Mm -hmm. So they're just banging away this beautiful, beautiful shell line. It looks glorious. There's pipes. Everything is just this, this symphony of hit, enter, nothing works. And they're just like, why doesn't it work? And it's like, well, as it turned out, they were using flags that had changed. Mm-hmm but they didn't know that it had changed, so mm -hmm. they had remembered the old thing. So then they realized it, and you know he then changed it, fixed it, so then it worked. But it's like, I guarantee the next time he goes to do this very same thing, he's gonna forget that it changed again, and he's gonna type the old thing. So mm -hmm. he's gonna have to look it up anyway. So I'm not gonna try to memorize stuff that's gonna constantly change. I'll just always have the way to find the newest information as soon as possible. So like for me, it's it's you you speak of it like it's a choice. I don't really have a choice. It just doesn't stick for me. It just <laughs> I, I would try over and over again, and I could read the same man page six times, you know, over the span of a year because I kept running into this thing that I needed. And every time I would read the man page, I'd make, remember just a little bit more, just a little bit more, until mm -hmm. finally through operant conditioning, I would get enough flags to be able to operate without needing to look at the man page again. And there's so many tools in the command line to master to get all these little things right that it's, there really are. it can take decades to just be able to string these things together like a wizard. And Yeah, and the the rate of OS advancement these days, mm -hmm. the, the pace is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, on BSD now, a couple years ago, we had Brian Cantrell on. Um, he used to work at Sun Microsystems, then Joyent. And he was talking about in the 90s, he remembers that people were talking about how the operating system is a solved problem. <laughs> because we had we had windows 95 and 98 like we've got this worked out it's okay and it's like that's what they thought then and we know how wrong that is so to look at things now and be like oh well we've got everything worked out it's all good like you just go back 10 years and it was a different landscape and i guarantee in another 10 years it's going to be a completely different landscape in another 10 years it'll still be the year of the linux desktop too maybe probably it's I been... think this is one of the reasons why some people got so upset about System D, was mm. because all of that assumed knowledge, well, not assumed knowledge, all of that rote memory that they had done and they had memorized and all of the things that they had in their head was now kind of thrown out the window 
and they had to learn it all over again. And everything that they knew now didn't matter. And I think in some ways there might have even been a little bit of hostility because that then puts you on the same footing as the new guy who you want to be the old guy who knows everything. But now everything, mm. the table has just flipped and now you're on the same level of trying to learn all the new stuff. So the everything has been normalized to everybody has to learn this the way it's going to work now. So if I go back, I was one of those uh, very hostile anti-system D people early in its existence. And I am trying to put myself back in those shoes. And I don't think I was very concerned about not knowing, uh, being an infant in this, that because that can be learned. The tools are constantly changing all the time. So it's not like my knowledge is ever static anyway. So I don't know that I would agree with that part of it. This is just speaking for me. I can't speak for anybody else here. Right. But I do yeah, I'm just, throwing, I'm just throwing an idea out there mm -hmm. that could potentially be wrong. It's just... Well, I, I'm going to say it's wrong. Um, okay. Just going to literally say that. But I, I think part of it, why I say it's wrong is because I had to learn something. Okay, that's how it is in the open source world. Things change a lot. What I was having to learn was not right, was not normal, was not how I'm expecting it to be. I'm expecting each tool, Unix philosophy, do one thing, do it well. I'm expecting this to be, this subsystem does this one thing, and that subsystem does this one thing. And they sort of all kind of intermingled. And at the time, I found it very distasteful that we were just throwing this big philosophy or guiding principle out the window because it doesn't suit us anymore. And all of my learning up to that point, not all of it, most all of it, I'll say, apart from learning how X windows and X servers and X clients worked, and that all was very interrelated, apart from that, most things were pretty closely staying to the Unix philosophy. So you could reasonably assume I can learn this tool, can learn its vagarities, and then I can apply it, and it'll work in just the one niche it's supposed to. That wasn't true with System D. They upended a lot of things all at the same time. And I got very upset by that, not because I didn't know it, but because it's, this is so different. It's like, you know, it's 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 like we're all deciding we're going to speak LogBand now. Okay, that's a great language. It's it's got its its real benefits, and the people that know and understand LogBand, I, I admire that. It's it takes a different kind of way of thinking, I think, to just think everything in in cognates and whole pieces. But it's going to be very uncomfortable that transition period, and it's just it's not going to sit well with me. That what? Why are we? What happened to English? What do I mean? English had its flaws. It's got numerous flaws and irregularities in it. But it was what we do. What is this offering that's superior to English? Why do we need to get rid of English? What is Lodgeman bringing us? And I, it, just like then, I'm not really seeing the benefits of moving to a new language, and that's what we would all speak. So it's actually not a bad analogy. Yeah, there's there's definitely a principle of when something works good enough. And to tie it back to the kernel, for the majority of my time, it worked well enough that I didn't need to go in and start monkeying with it. And it was just when I needed a module here or there, then I would I would take care of that. I did not experience the same, you know, you're not a true Linux user unless you compiled your kernel. But again, I was I was more of a observer and a lurker at those days. So I mean, I guess I guess according to you, Jeff, I wasn't a true Linux user, but that's okay. I wouldn't have said that back in the day. I, I just I, I recite that because I knew that was applied to me and early in the day. I didn't think I compiled my kernel until a year or so after running Linux. I'll say this also. A lot of the time, the reason I had to compile my own kernel is because something had broken and I needed to fix it. And this was the solution. So I had to go diving in to do something. And it was 
Maybe I was trying to do too many exotic things. I, I don't know, but uh, it, it just seemed to break my system a lot. And I had to go fix it the hard way because partly Slackware and partly because I'm hard-headed like that. And I don't want to just apply a bandit over it. I want to actually fix the root cause. So that meant going down and changing the driver or doing this or fixing that or, well, this is technically the same driver for these two cards, but the new card's not, it's hardware ID isn't known. So I need to port that into the, the config file that defines those hardware IDs and then recompile and it should be just fine. I had to do that somewhere around 2008 or nine for some, there's a combined video audio card from AMD that I thought was pretty cool. Maybe it was ATI. They were still separate back then. So did you submit those changes upstream? No, because I actually got them from upstream. They were in the beta. They okay. just hadn't been published. But if uh, if it hadn't already been published by somebody else and I had just gone and figured it out and I would have made that patch because it's a couple lines, you know, add, add some more defines basically. And that's all it was needed. And that was like, it took me, I think, a, a little under a day to figure out that's all that was needed because I thought I would actually have to go. I didn't know there was the patches already. And so I didn't the time think to look in the beta branch of the kernel or of the driver and so i was like oh crap i'm about to go modify this driver myself that's actually really cool i'm gonna try this so i spent a day and a half trying to do it and realizing this is harder than i thought <laughs> uh maybe i need to rethink this let's go back and look oh look there's somebody's already done this okay so uh, most of the time i'll say uh there were some times that i was uh, being an enthusiast of linux with other people and just would compile a kernel because hey that's what we would do because it was fun or try and make the best kernel possible i did have my kernel ricer period there for a little while i wanted to create the most streamlined experience possible i never went full gen 2 but i did a lot of very gen 2 like things on slackware and uh so did you ever get into the i need to boot my system as fast as human possible that a lot of gen 2 and arch users will try to compete against who can get their system to boot the fastest no i never went there because i didn't reboot very often and actually, that was another complaint I had about System D. It felt like we were sacrificing a lot of things so that we could boot fast. I understand that's very necessary, like if you're constantly applying system updates and desktop or, or environment, but... You know, yeah, you're spinning up a thousand VMs or containers. That's, that's where it really matters, and I was not really visible to that. Yeah, it, did, it didn't make sense to me. Like, why are we spending so much time trying to make it spin up faster? Because I'm like, once I have a system up, it's up. I can just change its configuration. I was not fully bought into the... Uh, cattle not pets mentality yet we'll say so it makes a lot more sense to me now i've made my piece of it no matter where i go there's going to be system d as a i'm a linux professional it's just part of the job so i've made my piece with it and i've actually come to like some of the way system d like the unit file thing once you figure out where everything is and how to build a unit file it's actually pretty neat what it can do and it just kind of works and it works great actually so i'm over my resistance but i don't want to say that my resistance to it early was illegitimate either I think I just needed to evolve what I was thinking of and, and looking for. And to answer your question, I never really cared about how fast it booted because I only rebooted like once every couple months. You know, I would just, I, I fought really hard to make sure that my laptop lid closing would actually put it to sleep and everything worked there. I spent a long time mucking around with ACPI settings and because this is Slackware, you have to do all that stuff yourself. And you could decide, do I want my computer to go to sleep? Or, you know, stay open, but turn the lid, uh, turn the screen off when I close the lid. And you could decide all that for yourself because none of it was done for you. So you would set it up. And so I spent a lot of time making it so that my computer would stay on, but hibernate or sleep or whatever was appropriate instead of rebooting. So very long-winded answer to say no. Okay. So I have one final question for you, Jeff. Okay. And that is, have you ever compiled the herd kernel? Oh, I got very close. By that, I mean, I was... Because I heard it was almost 1.0 a couple of years ago, 
or it was getting close. It was a rumor. And so I was like, well, I better go. I've, I've always wanted to do this. I better go try it now before it goes 1.0. Because So that way I can say I was there before. It was ridiculous uh, thinking. And maybe I was drunk or something. I don't know. Um, but no, I have never compiled it because I came to my senses like, it's not done yet. And it probably won't be done yet for another couple of years. I got time. It's fine. So it is on my list of things to do. I don't want to say it's a bucket list, but it's... Uh, I would like to think that we could come up with other kernels and other libc's and swap them in and things well, there would are work. plenty of other libc's well right, i know but um the libc that goes along with with herd is it just the same libc like it's it's the same kernel interfaces entirely i wouldn't think so there's gonna be well, some I mean, differences it's still, use, it's still using uh the gnu libc okay so i don't know if muscle would work with it probably not okay well, I would expect that they're not all the same kernel structures are there. So no. the interface, if it's the same GNU libc, then that means that the, the current GNU libc has everything needed for you know the typical Linux Torvalds mainline kernel and also the herd kernel side by side. Because I know they're not going to be exactly identical. There are going to be some differences. I mean, there's going to be a lot of differences because herd is a microkernel architecture. So actually, that's something I want to go look into. Maybe a future episode we can explore that. Yeah, that'd be cool. That sounds like a good idea. And on that topic, I think we should close out. Uh, I've enjoyed getting ambushed by you yet again. That's always entertaining. I hope the listeners find that entertaining. And please let us it's know. It's just another service I provide. Yes, you're very good at it. Um, please, listeners, submit your histories and when did you compile and were you one of the ricers like uh, I flirted with for a while. And we can let JT ambush you also. So... Anyway, signing off for now. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day.